0: Hey, I'm Kim Short, and it's time to get your podcast on. Welcome to What Led Her Here, exploring the defining experiences of women's lives. My guest today is the passionate and dedicated Rachel Weinstock. Rachel is a bullying prevention speaker and expert, transformational coach for preteens and teens, and elementary school teacher. She's on a mission to create a world where every child feels happy, confident and safe to be their truest, most creative version of themselves. That is a beautiful mission. I'm so happy to have her here today to share her story. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you. You are known as Miss Rainbow Fairy. I love that nickname. Tell us where it came from. Yeah. So I've
1: been asked this question a lot over the many years that I've been Miss Rainbow Fairy. It's been a decade. So I have always loved rainbows and I've always loved fairies. I also have always thought that it is necessary that teachers are kind of like magical in school. And so when I became a teacher, yeah, my technical teacher name is Miss Blindstock. But having a name like Miss Rainbow Fairy immediately Communicate something to kids that I am alternative and that I'm outside of the box in terms of uh, just my approach to teaching and that they're going to be safe and have fun with me. So it was really important for me to communicate right off the bat, like, hey, you are going to be in my care, but I am going to be a caring, kind teacher that is going to be playful and you're going to have a good day. So that that's really why I use that name.
0: I love that. Now, I know that you feel that adults have a responsibility to create safe spaces for children, and you just alluded to that. So can you tell us more about how in your teaching and in your coaching, how you do that for kids? I would say that uh, every adult that is working with kids has that
1: responsibility. So it should never be just like, oh, hopefully that teacher is nice or hopefully they're a compassionate, empathetic, kind human being. Like it should just be mandatory. And we have all different approaches on how to do that, but it should be a standard. We should just have that standard that kids feel emotionally safe. You know, so I've worked as a substitute for a decade and then I worked internationally as well as a teacher. So I include myself like in this. So when I meet them, I tell them information about myself. I should, Share with them that I love art. I tell my cat's name. I, you know, explain that I have a learning disability. Sometimes I'm building connection in that first couple of minutes, you know, uh, with them. And then they feel comfortable with me. You know, in my preteen club, what we've been doing now more and more to create inclusion and safety is we talk about pronouns. So I talk about my pronouns, they talk about their pronouns. So there's just little tiny things that you can do that communicate huge things that build trust between the kids that you're working with. So that's really, my approach. And then also a huge thing for me is humor. I like to laugh and I like to play. And I always say that play and creativity are the language of children. So I definitely speak that language. And, uh, and I think that that's so important. Like the best part about working with kids is they're some of the most intelligent, creative, playful humans on this planet. They're just amazing. So yeah, I include humor and play into the work that I do with kids. And that really creates a sense of safety and trust that when I do have to put a limit down, or I do have to put a boundary down or have a serious conversation or whatever. I've already built that relationship of trust and care that they will take it seriously.
0: Oh, I love that. How did your own experience as a kid with your teachers and with classmates shape who you are and what you do now as an adult? everything I do
1: now is connected to my past, you know, with my experiences of being a kid and also watching how kids treat each other and also how adults engage with that kind of interaction. Um, So I was bullied from grade one until the end of high school. I had a couple of years as a quote unquote call off, but I was so traumatized that it wasn't really off because like, you know, the bullying was like deeply embedded in my head by that point. So I knew quite young that it seemed that the adults didn't know what they were doing. Right? Like, I would be trying to advocate for myself uh, as a child, as a young child, and say, like, you know, I don't feel safe or whatever. And the responses that I got, you know, one principal said, well, boys will be boys. And I eventually left that school because I felt so unsafe. I remember very clearly in grade seven, when I was going through a lot of more targeted bullying that was more severe, we had transitioned from grade six and we were now in grade seven, but we were in a private school. So it wasn't like, like it was like so small, it was one class. But they, assigned our counselors, like our student advisor or whatever. I don't even know what it was called, but they just basically pulled one of the teachers and said, OK, you can talk to this person. So I remember really clearly going into this room with this teacher and just and she was a nice teacher, like she wasn't a mean teacher. And I told her everything. I was like, these boys are doing this to me and this is happening. And I just I had like so much relief and hope that finally I was able to tell my full story and I was going to get help. And when I finished after like a half an hour of like crying and telling her everything that happened, she looked at me and she's like, okay, well like everything else is going pretty well. So, you know, and I, like in that moment I knew, okay, she's not going to help me. And and no one is like, and so I basically as a child would like, look up at the stars and wish that I could grow up and be the person that I needed and promise myself that somehow I would survive. Cause there were lots of times where I really was like, this is too much and I don't want to live. And you know, it's just too painful. Like it was just constant abuse every day and day in day out. But I promised myself, I need to grow up and protect other kids. No child should have to suffer like this. This is crazy. Like we are forced to go to school. It's like a law. And then like, this is like such an unsafe environment. I had some nice teachers along the way, but the role that I play for kids, like I, I never had anybody like that, that really fully saw me and like tuned into like something was really wrong and took it seriously when I said something and advocated for me and didn't let it go and empowered me. Like, no, I never had that. I didn't. I had a couple nice teachers and then I had the rest of them were just kind of like, they just seemed unhappy and like strict and I see this now as an educator, I have a friend now who's a prison guard. And so I I used to say like, oh, there's like two types of teachers. There's one like that is like super kind and lovely and then one that's a prison guard. But now because I know my friend who is a prison guard that has the same approach to how I am with working with people, he's just amazing. So I, I feel like kind of hesitant to saying that kind of comparison, but more like somebody that gets the power dynamic. The power dynamic is so imbalanced between the child and their educator. And so if you are not Really, a conscious educator that's really mindful and really like seeing. That this is a human being, like it doesn't matter if they're a kid, you know, and that you have to kind of humble yourself and be at their level as much as you can. But that's what I believe is like, it's really important to have these conversations about power dynamics. I don't think we have those enough. And kids often will tell me that I'm very different because I listen to them and I and I know how smart they are and I believe them and I, and I am in it with them, right? So yeah. that's a really important thing.
0: Like you said before, feeling seen. That's huge because they're human beings. Just because they're young doesn't mean they're not smart. Doesn't mean that they're not aware and they just want to be seen as full people and to be accepted just like we all want, right? It's you know, it just blows
1: my mind because when we think about our lives, like I'm forty one right now, and when I think about my life, I remember when I was six years old. I remember when I was seven, I remember when I was nine, I remember what it felt like. And most of us have those memories, unless we have like severe trauma. Most of us can remember back to, you know, when we were younger and those times impact you. But for some reason, adults get to like the adult point, and I don't know if it's a cycle of abuse where we're like, Okay, well now we're the adults, the adults know everything, or it's just like a disconnect of like, Oh, they're so cute and we're objectifying them. I don't I don't know but there's something where many adults not all but many adults just don't get it. Maybe they just disconnect from their inner child so much that they just can't understand how these humans are humans. They're just smaller and they're less time on this planet, but they have the same needs that we have. And it's not just food and water and sleep. It is literally the same emotional needs. They have the same needs to be seen and valued and taken seriously. And there's so many times I've seen that not happen where adults just like miss the mark on knowing that kids' feelings matter.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really old style of of teaching, of parenting is that authoritarian thing. It doesn't work. It doesn't create... Healthy adults, but when we truly accept these little people mm-hmm. as human beings, as independent thinkers, we have to teach them how to be healthy, responsible adults. Yeah. And if we don't do that properly, and if we don't model that, yes, then it's going to be all screwed up. And then we have another generation of idiots. <laughs>
1: totally. And you know, Krishnamurti is an Indian philosopher, and he had a book on education that I. Read in Japan. And I just remember this story of, you know, he opened up this orphanage and it was helping all these kids and educating them like so through a labor of love. And he was talking about this flower and teaching them how to see and be present with the beauty of a flower. You actually need to teach children that. Kids notice everything, like you're with a toddler and they're like pointing at everything, right? But at a certain point, I think there's also the responsibility of adults to bring their attention and presence to important things. So I just always see it as like we're guides And our job is to guide them. Kids know what the truth is of things, but they also need people to keep them on track because they're going to play with power and they're going to play with boundaries and they're going to like push back to find their place in the world. So our job is to be like, hey, you've got this. And if you're like so far off the track, literally it's like if they're on train tracks, right? And I actually use this metaphor in coaching is they're on a certain track. If the train represents the person, the child, and they're falling off the tracks because of their insecurity, whatever, then our job is to firmly, but gently and kindly put them back on track. But our job is not to do that unless that's happening. Kids have told me some of the most wise and like most inspiring things. Like some of the things that come out of their mouths, I'm just like, wow, I feel like you just schooled me. Most of the time I just look at them is like wow you're amazing and I'm kind of in awe
0: of their humanity basically I see this in my own kids that they see us they see the world around them and (laughs) here's the thing there's no filter and I think that's a big difference between kids and adults is that we tend to filter things but they just put it all out there and it's like whoa (laughs)
1: yeah and maybe they have it more right than we do You just have to look around at the world that adults have created and know that we have been making some boo-boos for a while. Like I often would sit in class and talk about environmental things with the kids and they're like, but why is it like this? Why are we treating the animals like this? This is not right. Fairness and justice is one of the biggest things that kids talk about. In families, like my sibling didn't treat me well. It's not fair. He gets more candy or whatever. Like my parents aren't mad at my sister. Like there's so much around fairness, but also at school, walking in line. He butted. I've literally seen kids almost kill themselves over like who's in line first, you know, and and like throw themselves like in front of another person as we're walking down the stairs. It's more important that it's fair. So I mean, of course we need some filters, but what I love so much about children, one of the things is that they're so authentic and that's so beautiful. That's something to be protected. We need authentic people so that we can do the hard work of looking at the truth of what's happening in the world. So kids are very connected to that. And I think oftentimes we desensitize them and we're kind of like, well, you just have to suck it up. There's homeless people and we can't solve that. And there's wars and there's, you know, like all these injustices of poverty and like all these things. And is it good to tell them that we can't solve it and you just have to live in this world? Or is it better that we take a page from their thing and be like, okay, we actually need to change this and let's think about what you all want to do
0: about this? And then we need to get on board with that too. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. We need to get on board. And I think sometimes yeah. the thing is that we want to be the fixers or we just like we want everything to be in a nice, tidy little yes. bow. And we need to give them the freedom to explore, you know, the things that we might not have mm-hmm. the answers yeah. for and let them run with it and be like, Yeah. What do you think? Throw out some ideas and just give them that freedom of exploration. Because after all, that's what we want them to be is curious people who are willing to and brave enough to make changes when they see, like you said, injustices, unfairness. But do we really want that? I do.
1: (laughs) And I do. But if you look at the systems in place, do we really want that? I don't think so. And they know that. There's things that we need to critically look at how we're educating them, how we're raising them and really think if we really gave kids permission to be like, yeah, really voice your opinion. Well, then sometimes kids would be like, I don't want to do this. I don't, I don't like this idea. But then because of the systems in the way they're set up, it disrupts things, right? It's like, no, you have to do this. You have to do that. It blows my mind that kids have so little say in how we educate them. Like you never see a school board having volunteer kids talking about like how they're going to run things. Like you have a school council, but there's just so many things where I feel like uh, I've been thinking about a lot recently about just how we're, we're working with a group of people and you want to empower them. You wouldn't have a board of people of a different kind of background you'd include those people. You'd be like, okay, we're talking about this group of people, this culture, this religion, whatever. And you'd want to work with them to figure out what everybody needs. We don't do that with kids yeah, most of the time.
0: Well, and I think that's in line with what I know part of your philosophy is that you don't have to be grown up to be yeah. helpful, to be a part of the conversation. Yeah. And they should feel powerful, but the systems that are in place are getting in the way of that
1: I mean, if we're being honest, which I always try and be, I think the majority of the time adults are getting in the way. We're not actually doing what we're supposed to be doing, which is we're supposed to be guiding them, you know, guides that are kind and loving and compassionate and safe spaces for these kids when they need us. And then like allowing them to go on their journey. They want autonomy, they want freedom. And that's another thing is that the more that adults can, as parents, as educators, give kids choice, even just a small choice that communicates to them on such a deep level, I value you, I value your ideas, I value your thoughts, your insights. Even if it's like, do you want to eat snack now or do you want to eat snack in 10 minutes? Instead of just everything being handed to them and like enforced, right? I think those things are really important. Like that's one thing that I would encourage everybody to do is as much as you can give more choice, because they don't have a lot of choice in their life. They don't get to choose their families. They don't get to choose what time they go to bed. Or oftentimes they'll say, I wasn't allowed to choose what I want to wear. Like I hate this outfit and I'm embarrassed about it. And especially if there's kids on the gender spectrum or, you know, there's so many things that they don't get choice over. So the more that we can give them choice, the more that they build that muscle to tune in with like Yeah, this feels right for me or no, this does not feel right for me. And don't we want adults that have clarity on who they are and like can follow what they want to do in their heart? Like that's really important.
0: Yes, I 100% agree. And I think part of that is parents and adults wanting to control. Some of that is just as simple as if I can control the bedtime and the outfit, then that's a couple things I don't have to argue over. Sometimes it's just as simple as I don't want to have a fight with my kid about this. You know, these are the rules, move on. But on the uglier end of that is parents who don't want to accept their kids for who they actually are when that deviates from what they see as normal. I say that with giant air quotes. (laughs) So I think a lot of that stems from control that adults are trying to put on kids. Would you agree? Yeah, there's so many parts of this
1: that are rooted in colonialism and capitalism and just the rush of we're going to school now, I have to go to work, all of that. If we didn't have those things, the times that I have not had those things are times when I've been at festivals, right? So a music festival with lots of families there and people are kind of just going with the flow, they're expressing themselves. So I think that we don't take enough time collectively as like human species to actually question what structures are in place, how we're doing things, why we're doing things. And yes, there is definitely root. To, there is. Definitely. I'm not a parent. You know, I've been a nanny several times and like a little pair I've been working with kids for, you know, over 20 years now, but in education in 20 years and, I understand the value of that. I'm not saying that that doesn't have a place, but what I'm saying is there is a level of our own need to impose control because we feel out of control. And the easiest target is somebody that is quote unquote weaker, which is a smaller human that doesn't have a lot of choice. And if we're not careful, that can be something that is really imbalanced. So I think it's just important to not just talk about critical conversation, but actually have them and be like, well, how is this sitting? Like what's happening? And ask kids, like, how do you feel about this? Do you like this? I don't think kids are asked how they feel. I mean, in terms of education, I think we need to ask a lot more questions about what do you need to feel safe, to feel physically healthy? There's so many things. I mean, a very basic thing, which is a human right. So many kids are not allowed to go to the bathroom at school. And I don't know if parents know that.
0: Oh, I know it. And
1: it drives me up a wall. That being said, so as a child, the reason I knew that this was like a huge issue was I think it was in grade one. And I remember our teachers used to tell us, it was such a crazy thing to say. They said, when you get to grade seven and eight, you will not be allowed to go to the bathroom during school. You'll have to wait till recess. So you have to practice this now. And I was in grade one. I remember there was a girl behind me and she put up her hand and I was facing forward. She was behind me and she put up her hand and she said, I just had an accident. And I remember everybody turned around and looked at her and you could just see her chair like just overflowing with pee and the shame for her I was right in front of her I was just like I will never do this as a teacher so I know as a substitute teacher (laughs) because I'm so nice and because oftentimes kids are used to having that no bathroom rule you know you have to wait until you're going to recess that's hours sometimes as teachers that's also not okay because there's been a lot of times where I'm like I really need to go and I have nobody to cover me and what am I going to do and one time I was like am I going to have an accident here I don't know what's going to happen Happen. luckily I made it, but I had to wait two hours. You know, I didn't know who to call to cover me because we don't have coverage like that usually. But with kids, that should never be ever. So I always say to them, you know, if we're in the middle of something, are you able to wait a moment because we're just finishing up something? But I'll have that conversation with them and I'll make sure I'll be like, are you sure you're okay for a moment? Sometimes, because I'm so nice, they're like, can we go to the bathroom? Like 25 kids together. I'm like, <laughs> no, because then I'm actually going to have the principal come and say, this is an issue, but you know, one at a time. And so it's because they don't have that normal option of a human being going to the bathroom, then they're trying to push the boundaries. And the other thing is people are like, well, they're just kind of dilly dallying. Well, sometimes you need an emotional break and sometimes you need a physical walk. So I don't think this is a bad thing. And I don't think that most parents know that this happens. And so I've talked about it with parents and they're like, really? Like, I didn't even know. I'm like, yeah, it's very common practice in almost all schools that I've ever been in.
0: Yeah, that's definitely something I'm aware of with my own kids. And I tell them just to go if they have to. And they're like, we can't just walk out. I'm like, yes, you can. You can listen to your own body. And if you're being told that you aren't allowed to go to the bathroom, which is something, you know, when you have to go, you have to go. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Can you
1: imagine imagine in like HR and a business where you're like, you know, in a law firm or something and they're like, yeah, no, you can't go to the bathroom. That's insane. So there's things that they start thinking it's okay. Right. And they're not questioning it. So kids exactly like they're afraid. Right. And they don't have as much power. So like to stand up to an adult, like, no, I'm walking out. I have to go to the bathroom. I've barely seen that. Yeah. I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever seen that actually. You haven't Um, met my youngest daughter then. (laughs) No, I have not. (laughs) there's a way to do it. You're advocating for your needs and that's a physical need. That's not an arguable need. If you don't do it for a while, you are going to have an accident. Like that's just common knowledge. Yeah.
0: So tell me about this beautiful program you have, this preteen club and how you help kids to feel seen and to feel heard and to feel valued just as they are.
1: Yeah. So Preteen clubs started as a pilot program in the summer. Um, we've almost been going a year now and pre-pandemic, I was speaking in schools and I was doing substitute teaching, like both those things. And then as soon as the pandemic hit, now actually social emotional learning and mental health and all of that is finally people are starting to realize, oh, it's actually important. So I had this idea, well, why don't we do a pilot program and run, you know, a couple months in the summer and just do a program on mindfulness and creativity, but really specializing in kids with anxiety, depression, bullying, and suicidal ideation. And so it became this international group. It has changed kids' lives. We've had kids come out as trans. We've had kids share things like insecurities and vulnerabilities that they've never shared before. I think we're at seven or eight kids that have come to the program being bullied for years and they're international. So I don't know their schools. I don't know, you know, where they live. Like they would just come and say, like, I've been bullied for years and different kinds of stories. One child came She'd been bullied for eight years, had no friends and was extremely depressed and like all sorts of things. Right. And I told her, when you join preteen, you're going to have an international group of immediate built-in friends. And it's changed her life. We coached her in terms of standing up to these kids. She's no longer being bullied. She's gaining more confidence. She's gained friends. She's an amazing part of preteen. There's multiple kids like that in the group. And what blows my mind is like, these kids are simply online. I'm not in their school every day. I'm not an administrator in their school. I'm not a teacher. I'm just a person every week that shows up and has the belief that this is not okay and we're going to end this and I'm going to help coach you and the group is going to rally around and, you know, make you believe that it is possible that this is going to end. And that has been time and time again, our experience with kids as part of the program. And that I'm so proud of. Mm. We carry these deep anxieties and wounds that we're alone in this, we're different, that nobody will love us or care about us and that we're not valuable. And so by these kinds of moments, and we have them all the time, where they're tuning in to their emotional landscape, like they'll come in, I'll be like, how are you? And they're like, good. I'm like, are you good? And they're like, no, I had a fight with my mom. And I'm like, whatever it is. And we just talk through. So it's kind of, it's not like officially a support group, but it's definitely a space where it's, it's what I dreamed of school being. So I wanted school to be a space where whoever's teaching is the kindest person and super patient and like funny, and then is really giving space to the kids to talk about what they care about and helping them with life skills and emotional intelligence and all of that and helping to coach them and their challenges. So that's what I've created in preteen. And it is such a special community. The kids are so dedicated to it. Last time they told me that they want me to run the club until I'm 60, at which point I said, well, you will no longer be preteens because that's in like nine years. So, but yeah, it's like one of the best things that I've ever created.
0: This is such important work you're doing. And I love that these kids feel that sense of community because you're right. Oftentimes they feel alone. Like no one's ever had their same experience. And when they realize that this same stuff or similar stuff is happening to other kids as well, it's just that alone is one step in the right direction toward some hope and some healing. It's huge. A lot of the
1: kids tell me that there's no other group of friends that they have like preteen. And I have guests come on and it's always the same. The guests are so inspired by them and they're so inspired by the guests. I had my friend Rain Dove, who's a supermodel. One of the first models that was signed to both male and female agencies for modeling. And they're incredible. They do so much work on LGBTQ plus awareness and support. I had a friend who's a fire dancer. I had my friend who does anti-racism. My friend who does work on disability. This is the kind of thing that I think education needs to be about is like really about life and how to empower kids to be the best humans they can be that's really important
0: and expanding their awareness and letting them think outside of the school curriculum which yeah there's a lot of other stuff there's so much stuff
1: there's so many things that kids could be especially now with entrepreneurship being like such a big thing as well so i'm reading everything is figure outable by marie forleo um, which is amazing and she was talking about the story about oprah and oprah saw i think it was barbara walters and she saw a woman I mean, it wasn't a woman of color, but it was a woman being in news. And so then she knew without having any connection with her, I can do that too. So we need representation. So that's why it's really important for kids to see options. What does it look like to have a disability and go through school? That's why I tell them also that I have a learning disability because they see a teacher that has a learning disability that sucks at math. I try really hard, but it's just never going to be something that my brain does well. And because of the system of school, I felt like I was stupid. I didn't care how many times they told me, well, there is a blue group of math because I knew it was the medium stupid or the, the stupidest class. Like I knew what that was. Right. And so there's such an importance of neurodiversity. There's a lot of ways that we can improve and add on what we're doing.
0: You've allowed yourself to open up and get vulnerable with this group of kids. Do you Mm -hmm. feel like that then gives them the permission? Because obviously, what you've said, they are really opening up. Oh, yeah. That's not easy. So, do you feel like that give and take has really created this safe space for them to make progress and share themselves? Yes. And you know what?
1: Time and time again, that's how I approach it. So if I'm reading a book that's inspiring me, I'm going to bring that and share that with the kids. One of my goals recently has been to go to bed earlier. So I've been telling them I've made this happy face chart for myself. So I'm in it with them. That's that's the thing is like I'm totally in it with them. But I was thinking about a time I was in teacher's college and I had amazing professors. I love them. They were kind and empathetic and just beautiful humans. But I realized we were about to graduate and we had not talked about bullying and I was like, oh, we're actually about to graduate and there's like 70 something people and they're gonna have decades of career in education and some of those people have not been bullied and they don't understand why it's actually important to take it seriously. So I, you know, in my artistic impulsive self, which I decided to do one of the craziest things I've ever done in my life. And I decided to pull up a bunch of journals from my childhood uh, when I was going through this abuse and uh, specifically from high school, because I documented things that were happening and I pulled it up. And in the group, there was an imbalance of ratio of male to female, although there might've been some gender non-conforming folks that hadn't been out at the time. But anyways, there was about like, I don't know, seven men in that Class and it represented groups of boys that had done this to me specifically in high school. So I asked these men in my class if they would, for our class talent show, which our professors had said, like, oh, you're going to have a, a talent show. You know, everybody wanted to sing a song or do a poem or, you know, do something like that. But I decided that I was going to do a live performance about trauma and bullying. So I pulled up my old journals and asked these men to say exactly what had been said to me for years. And I stood in like, it was a semicircle. So I was in front and they all stood behind, similar to what had happened to me on the bus and walking home and all these things. And they just yelled out horrific things. And I just stood there in front of the class, took it and was like bawling and shaking. And they got to witness what trauma looks like. I wanted them to have that impression on their memory so that they would never forget when a kid comes to them, how serious it is. So when I finished, everybody didn't know what to do. So they just kind of slowly came to the front of the room and sat down and it was like totally silent. And then people started disclosing, you know, I had a sister that died when I was younger. I was bullied. I never knew how terrible this was. Um, you know, I dealt with racism. Everybody just started saying all different kinds of things. And out of that I won the leadership award at the end of the year because my teacher said you made it a safer space because you were willing to stand up and say things that had happened to you about my learning disability about my journey about not being straight like all these different kinds of things that would apply to a diverse community of kids that they're going to be working with in the future because I wanted them to know I wanted them to understand how important it was so because I was willing to do that then that opened up space for other people so absolutely I think that you have to do it kid appropriately like so there's many things that I don't Don't tell them. But if you say like, yeah, let's make a safe space and then you don't offer anything like there ain't a safe space. So it takes
0: work, right? What you are doing is so powerful and the connections that you are creating for these kids is so valuable and just, oh, thank you for that work that you're doing. If you could put the life lesson that you'd like to share to inspire others in a nutshell, what would it be? For me, the saying
1: that I live by is be the person you needed when you were younger. I mean, maybe some of us make it out of childhood and we're not untraumatized. But if you did, then just be the people that helped to make you the amazing human that you are. And I come from a really loving family, but school was very unsafe for me. The trauma that I sustained is equally similar to one of growing up from an abusive family because you're in school 50% of the time, and uh, that abuse is just as serious. So yeah, I I live by that. But also, play and creativity is the language of children. Part of the heartbreak of what happens in education is those aspirations and passions and intentions are there when kids are really young. They want to do something good. They want to use their life well. And then they just lose that through all the rules and things that they're pressured to do and pulled away from their heart and whatever. And so they come out. Most people that graduate high school are not the same people that went into kindergarten. If you think about kindergarten kids, they're skipping, they're playing. Most of them talk about loving going to school, hopefully. When they're in high school you ask those same questions, I don't think you're going to get the same answers. Involve kids. They're not yeah. involved enough and then and then they can grow up to like be open, curious, advocating beautiful human beings that we talk about wanting but we're not actually acting on in terms of how we're interacting with them for the most yeah. part. Not everybody, of course. You know, what I've seen is I've seen Some wonderful parents, some wonderful educators, some wonderful admin, but I've seen some horrific things as well. And I have never felt like I've had the safety to even speak that you know, we kind of just accept, okay, well, this is, you know, there's some people that are kind of like more militant in their style, not compassionate or borderline abusive. And that seems to just be something that we just turn a blind eye to, but I've just for many years thought that's not okay. Yeah. And the impact of that on the kids is not okay.
0: Yeah, I agree. I don't know what the answer is. When we look at a problem that seems so big, There is some small part that we can do as individuals to make change. And if enough people adopt that philosophy, then awareness and change will come on a bigger scale.
1: If enough people do this kind of approach and work, then things change. Yeah. I mean, if every parent wrote in and said kids are never not allowed to go to the bathroom, like, of course, within reason, like one kid at a time and like whatever. But if every parent wrote to one school and said that is not an acceptable rule, if every parent wrote that and said this is a human right, the school would not be allowed to do that. No teacher would get away with it.
0: So speak up when you see something, say something. I don't know who came up with that quote. I've heard it before, but it's true. Yeah. And also there's many times that I had to like shut
1: my mouth. And if I push too hard, you know, I'm going to make a big thing here and then I won't be welcome back in this area. So it's kind of like you walk that fine balance, but ultimately that's why I created my own thing, because the only thing I'm answering to is the kids, their parents, their hearts. And I'm working with the most amazing business coach. I'm creating something that is just fully aligned and so joyful. My thing is always that if I can create these environments, then this can be something that we take out into the world too. It's not just like magical that all these kids are all of a sudden like the kindest kids I'm holding that space They're going to that expectation and exceeding it in terms of being a kind, vulnerable, amazing, brave human. They're witnessing constantly kids coming forward and saying like all sorts of things. Like early on, we had a kid come out as trans. So that inspired the entire group. Then we had a kid talk about their parent that had died. Then we had a kid come out as bisexual. All different kids at certain points had these brave moments. And when the kids are watching that and they're watching me hold this with so much compassion and empowerment, and then kids like talking back to that and being like, we accept your name and gender and everything. And then they're all supported and they're witnessing that person being held up. They're like, oh, I can be brave too. What kind of world do you create then? You create a compassionate, kind, empowering world. And that's the world I want to live in. So I basically create the world I want to live in through the work I do, right? And that's an example that it's possible, Absolutely. So tell me what is next for you? What excites you about the future? So I am working on my first book. Uh, we're in the first draft right now, um, which tells tons of stories, you know, similar to what I'm telling, but also brings in all these people that are inspiring my life from different backgrounds. I am going to be launching a teen program because I really feel like teens need this as well. And also my preteens are like, what happens when we're older than 14? So like they need somewhere to go. Yeah. And I'm working on crafting more of a program for training teachers. So I'm working with the school in California right now. I want to help educators learn through role-playing, through storytelling and critical thinking, like how they're creating safe spaces and where are their blind spots and what are our blind spots collectively and things like that. But bigger than that, I have this very big vision of creating restorative practice for schools internationally. I want this to be like every school around the world, where it would be to focus on creating safe spaces for kids. So people would be properly trained on social emotional learning. There'd be all sorts of different things like surveys on how kids feel with their teacher. I think that's a really important thing. We don't ask that enough. Parents know usually, but we need to know as administrators and educators, like how are they feeling? Are they feeling safe? Does this teacher need more support? Because I'm not a fan of just like getting rid of teachers, but I think that being a compassionate teacher should be the standard. And uh, yeah, so this is like a way bigger thought and passion project that I have. But I in that think about it's just time. It's time that we do this better. I'm I'm just so sick. I've been in education for 20 years and I've seen this throughout my entire career, kids struggling like this. And I know for my own life that I struggled this whole way growing up like this. So it's time for a change. It's time for a real change. I don't want to talk about it. Well, I do want to talk about it, but I want change. And I don't want just posters. I don't want just checklists. I don't want just a speaker coming in and then leaving. I want real change.
0: Yeah. People who believe, in your message and in change in those schools doing the work, right? Like you said, not just you drop in, you put up a poster, you have a talk and you leave, but people who can be in that space who are doing this work every day. Yeah. And the thing is, we need way more support.
1: It's too many kids in one class. It's too many kids in a school with administrators. There's not enough support. Social workers in my area are one social worker to eight schools. You could spend your entire career just counseling one class and you still wouldn't have support for everybody. So there's a lot of things that we need to do differently. Teachers and admin need to be supported properly and they're not. There needs to be a lot of change. And hopefully, as much of a ripple effect as I can make, that is what I've dedicated my life towards.
0: Amazing. And I know that there will be parents and educators and even some young people listening to this who are feeling your message and who want to make change and be part of that movement. And they can connect with you. Your links will be in the show notes if they want to be a part of this beautiful thing that you're doing. So thank you. Are you ready for the final five? I'm ready. (laughs) Okay. These are the same five questions I ask of every guest. And the first one is, if you could have one superpower, what would it be?
1: The thing that's coming to my mind right now is just to really be able to have everybody have a kind heart. If we had everyone come from a space of kindness, first of all, it would eradicate childhood trauma, which is like one of the most expensive things that any society deals with because people grow up and then they have a lot of issues and it would just make this world a better place.
0: When you were a kid, what did you think you'd be when you grew up?
1: I really wanted to be a cashier. I reached that dream and was horrible at it because it involved math. So, um, so yes, I was a cashier. I also dreamed of being on stage and as a child, I thought I'd be a singer. Um, I love singing. I don't feel like it's my strongest talent. Like my art is definitely stronger, but what I realized when I started speaking was like, Oh my God, this is like what I dreamed of just being on stage with a microphone. is just, I'm not singing. I'm actually speaking. And I also dreamed of being a teacher and an artist. So all the things that I dreamed of, I've become,
0: I dreamed into existence
1: what I wanted to do. Oh, that is beautiful.
0: If it were your last day on earth, what would your final meal be? I would have some sushi. I'd have
1: some sourdough pizza. Um, I would have a really amazing smoothie.
0: I don't know if I could choose one. I basically have a buffet. Okay. Now I'm hungry. My mouth is (laughs) watering. Okay. Uh, who is a woman in history or present day you admire? Oprah is
1: definitely somebody that I admire. Brene Brown is somebody that I deeply admire. Um, I always talk about this person, but they're not, they're not a person. They're a character. But I, I don't know, in my heart and mind, they're a person. Miss Honey from Matilda. So she is the really kind teacher that protects Matilda and So Sweet. So that is basically who I model my teaching career off of. Um, I have so much admiration for the women in my life, for my mom, for my grandmothers, for my sister, for my friends. I think it's really important actually to think about who you surround yourself with, even if you don't know them personally, like you should know who you look up to and who you're kind of like aspiring to walk a similar path to because
0: those people are your guides, right? Absolutely. What is your favorite quote?
1: The quote that I live by the most is be who you needed when you were younger. And also like, how can you take your pain and turn it into your biggest gift in the world? Many people that went through what I went through sometimes didn't survive. It was really Not easy to survive that many years of trauma. I struggle with physical and mental health repercussions of that to this day, but use your pain for something good. Yes.
0: I love the way you said that. Thank you so much for being open. And I I have a feeling you have no other way to be. I just feel that from you is that you just, you open up, (laughs) but it is, it's so beautiful. And I really appreciate you sharing your journey. And I'm really excited for everyone to hear your beautiful story. So thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thank you for having me, for asking such beautiful questions and for really holding space for this. Like I can feel your kind heart and how much you care about this. And every time I meet people that I know just get it, I just feel a little less alone in advocating and creating this movement and going forward. So thank you for creating such a beautiful space.